Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. If you haven't been journeying with us or this is your first Sunday with us, uh, we've been walking through the book of Galatians and um, I entered this season with this idea of cultivation and understanding what that means to cultivate and grow in the way that God would have us grow. And a lot of that starts with, with us understanding the gospel, understanding what Jesus has done on our behalf. If we want to grow as the church. We want to grow as individuals. We have to understand what he's done for us first. And Galatians kind of takes us back. Uh, Paul is calling the church back to understanding this gospel of grace. And so we'll be in Galatians chapter 2 this morning. If you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet with me. If you don't have a Bible, we, I believe we have some on the tables, or we can get one in your hand, but if not, they'll be on the screen, the words uh, this morning. Hello to you online if you're with us. Galatians uh, verses 11 through uh, 21. Y'all, we had a concert in here, so if this thing starts going crazy, I'm still going to preach, so y'all... Don't think about the audio, okay? Um, Bless God for technology. Uh, Verse 11, hear now the reading of God's word. Y'all got it? It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but When they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified, In Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I build what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic. Sometimes you just need to be reminded. Sometimes you just need to be reminded. Before we go any further, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the sun shining. I thank you for just being able to feel this place and get here even in the midst of barricades and things that could stop us from worshiping with one another and worshiping you. God, I do pray, even as I speak right now, that it would not be me speaking, it would not be me thinking, but it be you indwelling and in my body. Holy Spirit, have your way. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Let it fall on your people and let their ears and hearts be attentive to what you would have for them. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase in this place. Father, we give you all the glory and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Family, you ever need to be reminded of something that was already true? You ever been there before? I, I have four beautiful daughters, if you didn't know. I had one son, but four beautiful daughters, and I pray for them all the time. I pray for DJ, too, but I pray for my girls all the time. And 
especially being young black girls in a world where black women and even women for that matter can be objectified and, and thought of in many different ways. They have to work harder a lot of times than men um, in this society that's ruled in many ways by men, whether that be equal pay or that be just recognition. I pray for them that despite all of this, that they would know their worth in the Lord. Despite what the world tells them, I pray that they would know God loves them. And so I constantly remind them all the time, almost every day, God made you fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. He spent time on you. He cares for you. He made you bold. He made you beautiful. He made you smart. And I, I tell them, I believe all of this about them, but even more importantly, God made you this way. Because here's the thing. I, I, I want them to embody this. Because as you know, as they grow older, even my older two now, they're, they're growing into their teens and as they venture out into the world, they learn that the world doesn't teach them these things. It's actually the opposite of what I've been saying at home on a daily basis. So I pray over them. I pray nonstop because I want them to know what God thinks about them because there's going to be a time where they're out there and they're, I'm not with them. They're not going to hear my words. And they're, they're going to have to remember those words and stand firm on the truth of what God thinks about them, despite what everything around them is saying about them. I, I want them to be able to stand, stand firm on, on this truth and, and not be moved. So I constantly, over and over and over again, remind them that you are worthy. God loves you. He made you beautiful. He made you fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, Ellie. You are his child. And see, my point in all of this, family, is that sometimes we just need to be reminded. Sometimes we need to be kept accountable to what God believes about us or says about us in his word. Hence, hear me, keeping each other accountable is a good thing. The reality is that we live in a world that constantly pushes on us, oppresses on us some other truth uh, uh, about what the world believes about us. And, and we have to constantly be reminded of what God says, what God believes about us on a day-to-day -day basis. How many, hear me, I'm going to ask you, how many, how many of y'all had a hard week? Y'all can be honest. You had a hard couple of days this week. Maybe not every day, but you had a hard couple of days. And maybe even last night, it was hard for you to sleep. You, you just had a hard night. Your mind was wandering all over the place, and you, you didn't know if you were going to go to bed. How, how many of y'all had that before? How many of you need to be reminded that God loves you? And despite all of that stuff, everything everybody else is telling you, what's going on in your mind, how many of you need to be reminded that God has you in the palm of his hands? cares about you. Many of you need to be reminded of his grace. Things that you've done, like, I don't know how God can love me. It's grace. Today in our text, Paul, he calls Peter out, but in doing so, he keeps him accountable. And he reminds Paul, uh, Peter of, his, of God's grace. And sometimes, y'all, we stray away from this truth, and we need to be reminded. And some of us in here, we, we never really acknowledged or understood the truth of the gospel. God loves us despite us. He, he saves us despite us. We don't stay the same, but he, he works in us that there's grace at the foot of the cross. There's goodness so today we're going to talk about that because I believe Peter has a word, not Peter, but Paul has a word for us as well as, he, as he's speaking to Peter. So I got two points and I'm out of your way. Number one, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. And number two, the goodness 
of the reminder, the goodness of the reminder. We need to be reminded and the goodness of the reminder. Now, throughout the book of Galatians, we, we've seen Paul uh, so far calling this Galatian church back to the truth of the gospel, one that says that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There's nothing else. It's just the work of Jesus. He, he lets us know that Paul, his testimony as one where he used to persecute the church of Jesus Christ and and now he's on the other side, he's proclaiming the truth of the church, the, the truth of the gospel. So you, you have Paul, this guy who was persecuting the church, and then on the other hand, he, he's, he's proclaiming the gospel. And he says, my, my testimony is one of God's grace. It speaks to God's grace. I've only been saved and called by a gracious God. I'm undeserving. And last week he showed us that how to stand firm on the truth of God's grace, even in the midst of the people that you may look up to or those folks around you that may be naysayers. He says, stand firm on the gospel of grace no matter who it is or no matter what's in your way. And today in our text, he kind of continues with that thought. And so, but the text is, the text really, it, it's kind of weirdly laid out. If you've been with us throughout the last couple of weeks, it, it's weirdly laid out that it comes right after the passage we worked through last week. So here's Paul having to call out the very same person that last week we talked about, or the passage before this just affirmed him, Peter. Paul opposes Peter to his face. As we get into the text, why would he do this? Verse 12, it says that Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, and now he is withdrawing or departing himself from them. Now, I, I got to set the scene for you all. I want you to kind of step into the story and to the, this, the space this is happening. So I need you to listen with me as we work through this because we get so caught up in Paul confronting Peter like, dang, man, he called out his brother. And we miss the significance of what's happening here in the passage. So I need you all to follow with me as we work through this passage. See, Peter here in the passage is shrinking backwards. Or should I say he's stuck in people-pleasing? He's not eating with Gentiles, and thus he's, calling, he's causing other people to follow in these legalistic ways. All of this happens after Peter has fought for them, he's ate with them. And the funny thing about this is that it's probably far more appalling to a first century Jew to see Peter eating with them or sitting with them, let alone eating with them and then pulling apart from or departing from them in the first place. Like, you already sat with them, bro. And the reason because of this, it, it, the reason this is it's true because if, if I give you a little background, if you go back to the Old Testament, there were these things called clean laws. Can you say that? Clean laws. Clean laws were people had to be ceremonially clean in order to be in the presence of God for worship. Uh, this involved things like making sure you ate clean foods or you, you stayed away from sin and wrongdoings. You didn't touch dead people, things like that. And, I mean, if you don't believe me, you just go back and read Leviticus. Go ahead and try. Read Leviticus. I promise two things will happen when you read it. You'll go away with a headache, and two, you'll go away with a far more uh, deeper appreciation for the perfect life of Jesus. Because you look at these laws, and you're like, ain't no way. I could follow everything in Levit Leviticus and get it right. Like, wow, Jesus. So you go away with this deeper appreciation, but you're going to have a headache at the end of reading all of them laws. So there were these ceremonial, clean laws where this person or person was to be without fault and clean to be in the presence of God. And the problem with this is that the Gentiles ate all the different types of food that God deemed unclean and did things that were unacceptable to God. So Gentiles themselves were deemed unclean by the Israelites or Jewish people. Now, fast forward to the book of Acts. I need y'all to stay with me. Peter comes out of this Jewish tradition. This is the heritage. This is his culture he comes from. But now he's saved. He's struggling in the book of Acts not to go back to these ceremonial, ceremonial clean laws and, and what to eat as well as should I even present or proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. So in Acts chapter 11, Peter has this vision. I love it. He has this vision where this, this, this sheet comes down from heaven, and in the vision, all of these unclean animals are on the sheet, and, 
And God, God said, I mean, things like pigs and all these animals with hooves and stuff. Thank you, Jesus, for barbecue. And, 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 and he, says, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He says, eat, kill and eat. And don't, don't call anything that I've made unclean, Peter. I mean, you got, you got, think about ham hocks and, you know, green, you know, all this stuff that y'all eat and, you know, and the things that they didn't, they didn't barbecue ribs and, and bacon. Some of y'all might have had this this morning or afterwards. Y'all couldn't eat that. that that's, and so he's like, don't, don't, don't call what I've made unclean, Peter. All of these things, you, you can eat all of these things, but even more so, here it is, as he's saying, kill and eat. So don't call anything I've made unclean. What he's telling Peter is that you should love your neighbor. Love your neighbor no matter who they are, Peter, and you can eat all of these things. And, and, and what this tells Peter is that now he's, he knows that God not only accepts the Jewish or Israelite people, but he accepts Gentiles too. And then right after this, right after the passage, Peter meets this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Greek Gentile who then gives him his life to Jesus. Then later in Acts, you find Peter in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 15. He's eating with the Jews now. Uh, he's eating with the Gentiles, and he's, he's, he's defending the authenticity of their faith, they're, even though they're ethnically not Jewish. He's defending their faith. And so now you got all of this that sets the scene right here for the confrontation between Peter and Paul. Because Peter, after all I just talked about, is withdrawing from the Gentiles. He's withdrawing. He's pulling away from them because the, these Jews, the circumcision, they, fought, they, came, up, they came into the place. And, 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 and what he's doing, he's being hypocritical now. And even worse, he, he's adding legalism to the gospel of grace. His actions, as the text tells us, affects many even Barnabas, who is sent by God to the Gentiles, is following Peter's ways. This is a problem. It's a problem. And the text gives us two possible reasons why Peter would do this. Now, mind you, Peter didn't stop believing the gospel of grace. I got to say that. He, he didn't just stop believing. He believed the gospel of grace. But one reason he's shrinking backwards it's because he feared the circumcision party. He's people-pleasing. He's trying to please them. And Paul, you already know, Paul doesn't do that. Chapter 1, verse 10, he's like, I don't, I'm not here to please people. I'm here to serve Christ. I can't please people and, and serve Christ, or I will not serve Christ fully. And so, so Paul has to confront him. But, but secondly, Peter, just like any other person, I need you to hear this, raised in a certain way is most likely struggling not to shift back to the way that he's always lived or done life. And what happens is legalism starts to enter the picture along with behavior modification as part of the gospel. Now this boggles me though. This is Peter. Peter preached to thousands. They gave their life to the Lord and 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 in he, he's not only had a call from Jesus, but he had a direct interaction with Jesus for three years. Saw him as he, as he rose from the grave. And then on top of that, he has a vision from God where she comes down from heaven. And then you've got Peter backsliding after all of that. Because the Jewish circumcision party came into the building. Oh, let me, let me, let me change my ways for them. The problem with this is that, and it really should mess with all of us, is that the text says, again, that many people follow Peter in verse 12. Listen, listen. Whether it's people-pleasing or cultural legalism, Peter was allowing cultural and even racial differences to interfere with the gospel. The Jewish people looked down on the Gentiles as unclean. They looked down on them, and they painted it as it was a, as it was a spiritual concern. Oh, they're just, they're just ceremonially unclean. They're not circumcised. So, so that's the problem here. But really, this was a racial, a nationalistic, and cultural hatred towards the Gentile people. And my man Peter here, who was raised in it, is, 
he still has it deep within his heart. And right here in the text, for fear of criticism and lack of the Jewish folk approval, he leaves what he really believes. He people pleases and becomes hypocritical. And sadly, by doing this, all these people follow him. Now, family, we could really look at this and just easily be like, yeah, Paul, you, that was wrong, Peter. You need to confront him. We, I mean, Peter is wrong here. We could just be like, oh, yeah, Paul is so wrong. But the, we got to ask ourselves, how many times have we done this? I mean, just be honest. I know I'm on some toes this morning. Let's be honest a little bit. I mean, if I were to step into your neighborhood a bit, how, how many times have you picked a seat at lunch or even in church based off the people that look like you? Ain't getting no amens there, huh? You, you sat by somebody based off how they were dressed. Or you sat next to that person because they looked attractive. Mm-hmm. Church, lunch. How many times have you let your ethnicity drive decisions you make? How you vote, where you live, what food you eat, who you eat with. How many times have you allowed your preference to tune you out of, here it is, the preacher that's preaching because he's not the preacher you like. Or tune out of worship because the songs they sang weren't the songs that you like to worship to. Preferences. I could go on and on, but the point is we have to watch our opinions. We have to watch those racial, nationalistic, or even ethnic leanings that tend to drive our lives. Remember I said last week, in, in, in order to love our neighbors well, in order to truly be a multi-ethnic, multicultural, gospel-centered church, we got to check our presuppositions at the door. We got to leave those opinions at the door. When we, when we walk into this place, when we live our lives, we got to leave those things at the door in order to love people well. How you live your life, listen to me, how we live our life has direct implications on how people see the gospel. How we live our life has direct implications on how people see Jesus. Let me make this plain a little bit. Look back at the text with me. Peter here is people pleasing. He's, he's shrinking back from his beliefs, and he's now taking away from the truth of the gospel, the truth that says we're not saved by anything we do or bring to the table. We're saved by the grace of God. And faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only one who's fulfilled all of the law totally. He's the one that's lived the perfect life. And so by Peter here, trying to fulfill the law, by eating the right foods with the circumcision, don't miss this, he's adding to the gospel of grace. He's adding cultural additions of circumcision and dietary laws to the gospel. And by doing this, he takes away, here it is, he takes away from the understanding that we're all flawed. He takes away from the understanding that we're all sinful. We all have mess in our life, and we need a Savior. He's saying it's not just that. The reality is that if you just do this, or if you do this, then you're deemed holy. You're deemed a good person. If you just eat kosher, or if you're circumcised, then you could be Christian. Basically, to be saved, you got to be culturally Jewish. And the problem with this, again, is that the text says that many follow him. This is wild. That Peter, who just affirmed Paul, he told Paul, verse 9, Paul, no, no, we're preaching the same gospel as you. We're with you, Paul. And then here it is, a couple verses later, he's adding the same legalistic tendencies he was just against. You see how not standing firm on the gospel can affect others around you? Peter shrinks back and these people follow him. Listen, every area of our life as a Christian is to be driven by the gospel. And this is tough. 
This is tough because we live in a world, as you've heard me say before, where everything you achieve or how you achieve it is based off what you do. It's based off how good you do, which is totally opposite to how you obtain righteousness in God. You see, see, the world says you got to do this, Markel, and if you do this, you'll win or you'll achieve. But the gospel says this, if you, do, if you just trust Jesus in his work, what he's done on the cross. See, it's over here in the world is you got to do this, you got to work. In Jesus, he's already done all the work. Two different things, and Peter's shrieking back from this. See, Jesus has already done all the work on our behalf. All we do is believe. What this means is that the believer, listen, because we live in a world, these two dichotomies where we're living with, with Jesus, but we're also living in this world, we got to preach the gospel as believers to ourselves every day. Jesus died. He was buried, and he rose from the grave for me. He loved me. It's by grace I'm saved. we got to preach that gospel to us, to ourselves every day, and we got to stay in the word of God because here's the reality. There's always going to be something or someone that's going to challenge your belief. Sometimes we just got to be reminded. Sometimes we got to be called out, like the text. With all that said, you got to notice, though, how Paul handles this situation. Notice he doesn't beat Peter down. He doesn't beat him up physically. He doesn't even yell at him. But he does call him out, and he does it publicly because what Peter is doing is public. So Paul had to set the record straight. But I love this because it's the opposite of people-pleasing. Because if, if Paul is people-pleasing, then there's no way he's calling out Peter, a man that he looks up to. He's not people-pleasing. He's calling him out. Listen to this. Accountability is the opposite of people-pleasing. It's done to please God and to help your neighbor. The problem is, if I can rift on this a bit, we live in a culture of no accountability. I know, this is tough. We live in a culture of no accountability, or, or should I say, of people-pleasing. We want to be liked. We want to be seen as nice and as a good person. So, so we, don't, we don't keep others accountable. And, and, I, and I'm really talking to Christians here. Because the wild thing is in this passage, when you read it closely, Barnabas is in the passage. There's other Christians around, too, while Peter is doing this, and none of them say anything to Peter. They actually just follow him. Paul's the first one. Look, look, Peter, you can't do that. So in other words, this fear of accountability or not holding people accountable, that's not just today a problem today. That, that was a problem back then. We fear one another when in reality we should fear God. And in doing so, will lovingly correct each other. Let me ask you, how many times for fear of losing a friend that, that is Christian, you sat by and you just watched them drink way too much and they're slipping and saying all kind of crazy stuff and you're like, you know, it's just this one time. I'm not going to say anything. I mean, it happened last week, but I, I happened a week before that too. Like, you know, I'm going I'm to let it slide this time. For fear of what they might think or say to you, you just, I'm going to let it go. How many times have you let that friend, both of y'all believe in keeping the marriage bed undefiled, no sex before marriage, but they got a significant other now. And, and you know, they... They've been sleeping around, and you, you're like, but, you know, they, they love each other. They're together. They're not married, but it's okay. I'm going to let it slide. And if for fear of what they might think or, or, or say to them, you just let them keep on doing what they're doing. Better yet, you got that friend that is, you're, you're watching them, you see them. They're letting themselves go. They're, they're depressed and Maybe they're gaining weight or they're losing weight abnormally. And you say and do nothing for fear of what they might say or think of you. I could keep on going down this list. Now, hear me. I'm not telling you to be some legalistic Pharisee. 
I'm telling you to love God and to love your neighbor enough, just like Paul in this text, to say something. Because there's a bigger issue at hand than just the wrongdoing they're committing. The problem with this isn't even that we don't say anything. The problem is that, as I, as I said in weeks before, and as Paul's been saying in Galatians, is that people are looking at our lives. They're watching, and they're saying, well, what is Christian? What is not? What does it mean to walk upright before God? When you look at this text, this isn't hurting Peter. But the ones that are getting hurt are the folks that are following his actions. Folks are looking at our lives. Listen to me. People aren't filling up churches on Sunday. They're not coming to church to hear the word preached anymore, not, at least not in big cities. We ready for brunch. And the Bears game, even though they suck. <laughs> that's, that's what we want to watch. We don't want to hear the gospel preach. There's races, no offense to races, but they're shutting down churches on Sunday to go race. We don't fill up churches on Sunday, but hear me. When people find out that you're a Christian, it may not be in here. They'll watch your life, though. And I don't say this to add pressure. There's no pressure to perform because God is the one doing the work in and through you to transform you to what he wants you to be. But listen, your life as a believer and all that you do is to be a testament that speaks to the grace and the glory of God. I mean, just this week, I'm going to be honest. I was in the locker room this week at my gym, and I got a phone call. You're not supposed to talk on the phone in the locker room. I don't, I'm supposed to be quiet. People be yelling and going crazy in the locker room, but I can't talk on the phone. And, and, and I don't have my clothes on yet. I just got a shower, and I got to take this phone call. And I'm like, man, ain't nobody around right now. Let me, let me just pick up the phone. I'm going to be real quiet, Joan. I'm going to be real quiet. And so I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And I'm talking. And the next thing I know, there's this old white guy that comes in the room. And I don't see him. I'm on the phone. I think I'm by myself. I'm real quiet. But I guess I was disturbing him. And so instead of him coming to talk to me, he goes to the supervisor. And the little old supervisor comes over to me. Hey, sorry, sorry, can you? And I'm off the phone at this point. I just got the noise counseling thing. Oh, I can't hear him. And he's like, sir, 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 you get off the phone. Please, please, can you? He's begging me to get off the phone. And I finally get off, take my earphones out, and I'm like, I'm sorry, did I, did I, did I, was I disturbing somebody? And he's like, ah, oh, it's okay. And then I look around the corner, and this old white guy's like, yeah, you're supposed to read the signs. There's no talking on the phone. No talking on the phone. And y'all, I'm going to tell everything in me wanted to give him something, to, some Gary in me, bro. I was like, you don't even know me, Holmes. You don't know where I'm from. I'm like that. And I just wanted, I just wanted to, I just wanted to let him know, bro. Like, I'm a preacher, but, bruh, try Jesus, not me, you know. <laughs> I wanted to tell him everything, bro, but everything in me. In that moment, I said, you know what? <laughs> it ain't going to be Christian what happens to this man. <laughs> I had to dial it back. In that moment, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but listen. All he had to do was come tell me, can you get off the phone? He didn't. He was way louder than me. And in that moment, I, I had to think, what if I would have snapped on him? What if I would have did something worse than that? Front page of the Chicago Sun-Times of the Tribune, prominent pastor beats up old white dude because he was on the phone. What would I have done to my witness, y'all? This church, my life. Family, people are always watching our lives. They're always watching our lives. And whether it's out of line with the gospel or it's people-pleasing, just performance, walking upright before the Lord matters. And what we see in this text is that sometimes... Although we may know the right thing to do, sometimes we need to be reminded. We need to be kept accountable. We need to be brought back to truth. And that's what Paul does to Peter here. He brings him back. Look at verse 16 with me. 
He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul here says, we're not justified or made right by what we do. We're not justified by our works, but through faith in Jesus. Paul lovingly reminds Peter of how he's justified. As a friend, I believe that Paul, knowing his friend, knows his struggle right now because of the wording he uses. He says that Peter feared these men. He feared the circumcision. So he's struggling. Paul said, I know he's struggling to go backwards. And so Paul says, you're justified by your faith, Peter. Listen, justification is central to the Christian faith. Let me break this down a bit so you understand what Paul is saying by this idea of justification. See, the opposite of justification is condemnation. So, so in actuality, to be justified by faith means this, that despite our sin, through our belief, we are not under condemnation, although the wages of sin is death. To be justified by faith in Christ means that our sins are covered by God's immeasurable grace. We don't receive what we're supposed to, but we receive what we're not supposed to. Uh, theologian J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, to justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Y'all catch that? Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation that of acquittal and legal immunity. In essence, there's judgment for sin. It's condemnation. It's eternal separation from God. But because the believer is justified by faith, by God's grace, you're not only saved from what you deserve, this condemnation, but because of Jesus' work, the believer receives from God all that Jesus deserves. What I'm saying is that not only are believers saved from eternal condemnation, but you get eternal life with God based off nothing that you've done, right or wrong. That's grace. See, what Paul is trying to do here is remind Peter of the grace of God by which he's been saved. He's not correct, just correcting Peter. You got to do this, Peter. You got to get this right. But he is reminding him of God's grace. He's reminding him of God's goodness. He's saying to him, that's what really should inform your life, Peter. That's the way we live. We live under the grace of God, not the law. We live under the grace of God. See, the law or your performance, Peter, doesn't save you. God's grace saves you. Family, Peter knows this. He knows this truth. And I got to ask you, if Peter, the apostle Peter... Needed to be reminded of the goodness of God, how much more do you think we need to be reminded? He needed to be reminded of God's grace. How much more do you think we need to be reminded? I mean, just think about your life. Just today, maybe. How many times already have you thought about, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got this on my plate, I got to get this done, I got to do that, I got to go here after church. And it's not that we don't have things to do, we do. But it's the way we're thinking about this thing. And, and, and hear me, hear me, hear me with this. If we do not realize that it's by God's grace that we get to do anything, keyword, get to do anything, it's a privilege, then what happens is we start leaning back into our own strength and trusting our own intellect to get all these things doing, and in doing so, we cease to give God any glory. Next thing you know, we're doing all these things. That we're like, I'm running around all over the place. And we're do then we start doing things that we, we never would have done. We start making concessions just like Peter here for things that we don't even really believe in. We no longer give God glory for the achievements in our lives or the mountains that are moved in our lives. We, we start looking back at ourselves like, yeah, I did that. We start thinking about all the things that we did. And we may not say it out loud like, yeah, I did that. But we believe it. We believe that we did it. And family, I need you to hear me. This is a dangerous place. 
It's a dangerous place for the person that believes because once you go down this rabbit hole of legalism or trusting yourself for your own righteousness, someday you can wake up and you'll be like, I'm never going to be enough. What I do and what I have will never be enough. It will never give me what I'm searching for. As I said a couple weeks ago, hear me, humans weren't made for that type of worship. We weren't made for that type of glory, to behold that type of glory. We can't handle it. We treat others wrong. We do things wrong. We can't handle it. We're image bearers made in the image of God, which means that we are to give glory to God. Glory belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. See, understanding that the believer is justified by faith in Jesus Christ is key to the Christian walk. It's key because the more you walk with Jesus and the more you understand the depths of your messy heart, as you walk with Jesus and you start seeing the mess in your heart, you begin to understand that, man, I had nothing to do with my salvation. God is so good. The truth that God would do everything on my behalf, even though I don't deserve it, it makes one want more of Jesus daily because I wouldn't be alive without him. I wouldn't be without him. I can't possibly live the way that he wants me to live the way that he did without him because I'm a mess. I'm a mess. One, one starts to understand, I need Jesus. I'm a mess. My thoughts, my actions, my heart, I'm a mess. And even being a mess of holy God still wants me. But not only wants me, he sends his son to die for me. The death that I deserved, this makes one want Jesus more and want to search out and live the riches of God's grace forever. See, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, Peter, the law and legalism actually shows you how messed up you really are. Like I said earlier, you read Leviticus, you're going to get a headache, but you're also going to come away like, dang, ain't no way I can fulfill all of this. I'm thankful for the perfect work of Jesus. I'm guilty of at least one, if not many, of these laws. And the reality is, is to be clean or to be holy and set apart. God wants you to be able to fulfill all of those. God, God's standard is to do all of that without sin, without taint. And his reality is only one perfect person that has ever walked this earth. And that was God in the flesh, Jesus himself. We deserve death, but Jesus comes down, lives the perfect life that we were supposed to live, and then he takes our death on the cross, the death that we were supposed to take, the death we deserved. That perfect Jesus went to a cross for me? When one understands the grace that saves them because of us not being able to uphold this high standard that God set before us, it makes you scream, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your burial. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for giving me life through faith in you. Thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit that lets me walk throughout the the day-to-day life and struggles that I go through. Thank you for giving me everything that you've given me. Thank you for your grace, God. See, when you understand the depths of the, the immeasurable grace that covers your sin, you just say thank you. Paul's trying to remind Peter of God's goodness. And I believe there's some of us in here that need to be reminded too of God's goodness. Paul moves on, verses 17 to 18 is around third heading on. He says, if you really grasp this truth of grace, then you won't go back to legalism. And if you do, you may need to question your belief. Paul's saying, understanding grace is that important. Grace changes the way you think. It changes the way you Act, it changes the way you speak. Grace changes and affects everything. This is why Paul says in verse 18 that I no longer live under the law, but I died to it so that I might live to God. What he's saying is that I used to serve God only to get what I wanted from God. If I did this, then I, I, I believe that I deserved for, for God to give me that. He says, no, 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 I don't live that way anymore. I only live to please him. I, I live to enjoy him. I live to be with him daily. You see, this makes verse 20, the one that we always say, much clearer. Because Paul says, with all of that said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a major juxtaposition here going on in this part. Paul says, it's no longer I who live. And then he says, the life I live. What he's saying is that I used to live under the law. But now I live by faith in Jesus. My life used to be built around what I did, my achievements. But now my life is built around what's been done for me on that cross. Which is why he says in verse 21 that I don't nullify grace because it's if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for nothing. Again, all Paul is trying to do here is say that when we truly understand grace, it changes the way we see and do life. He's saying the same thing that I say to my daughters. When you are a believer, you have to be reminded of what God thinks about you. You have to remember what God says about you. And when you do, the pressures of this life start to feel lighter. You're able to love people and care for them in the way that he wants you to without thinking about what they think about you or what they might say about you. There's no worry there because you know your worth in Jesus. You're able to work without the approval of man because you're totally approved in Jesus. God's grace changes everything. Paul reminds Peter and us, because when we don't get this right, when we do not understand grace, now God saved us, we start shrinking back from the gospel like Peter in this passage. We start performing. We start people-pleasing. We become nationalistic and racist and consumeristic, mean, judgmental, and even worse, because we're trying to find our worth someplace else. We're trying to find approval. We're trying to find fulfillment, all the joy and satisfaction outside of God. We're trying to find it in ourselves. We're trying to find it in other people and other things outside of God. Paul says, it's not me who live anymore, Peter. It's Christ within me. The one who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, this truth changes everything. Sometimes you just got to be reminded of God's truth. Just to be honest, this truth of God's grace, it rocked me this week, y'all. I was sitting in my car and it's parked outside the house. And I was, it's past appreciation month, as they just talked about. And I was reading some of you guys who wrote me letters. And I was reading these letters, and y'all just started crying thug tears. I'm going to just be honest. You know, the tears, you don't want to cry. And then you're like, and you're just crying. And I was crying because I was overwhelmed by the grace of God, just thankful. Because I don't deserve to pastor such an amazing church or to lead people, let alone preach a sermon each week. But it's because of the grace of God that I get to stand here. I know my story. I know what I've done. I know what I've been through. And I don't deserve this. But it's by God's grace that I'm saved, and it's by God's grace that I'm called. And so I sat there in my car, and I had my own worship time saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving me like none other. Thank you that you have saved me and called according to your purpose. Friends, hear me. When you truly understand that you cannot save yourself, but we need it, Jesus' death, it changes everything. Sometimes, family, you just got to be reminded. God's truth, his love, the fact that you've been called by his grace, and you'll get to experience the heavenly realities with him because of that. Sometimes you just got to be reminded. For some of us, we need to know and believe for the first time that God loves you, God cares for you, he sees you in your mess, he takes you out of that mess, saves you in your mess. He does the work in you to transform you to who he wants you to be. I'm a living testimony. 
he's saying, just come to me and believe. There's nothing you got to do but believe. Sometimes, family, we need to be reminded. We need to hear God's truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. You're truly good, God. We love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that even in the midst of us being undeserving of your grace, in the messiness of our own lives, Lord, you, you call us out of that mess to yourself, and you call us son and daughter. You receive us as is. The foot of your throne, the, all the grace. I love in Ephesians, it says you lavish your grace among us. You, put it, you drape it over us, Lord. God, I pray that that grace that's still sometimes hard to fathom, that you would love us despite us and the mess in our hearts. God, I pray that we would be reminded of that, of your goodness and your grace each day, and that it will inform and direct the way we live our lives. Not what we do, but there's been a gracious, but instead there's a gracious God that looks over us, that calls us to himself. Let, it, let that be what drives us, Lord, in our work, in our homes, in our communities, in our lives. May you be lifted up in all we say and do. For those that need to come back to you now, Lord, that have been called son or daughter, that have given their life to you, Lord, I pray that they would know that there's grace even more, that you still accept. You're still a loving father that's saying, come home. For those that are saying, I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ, would they know that, that the Bible says if you confess and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he's risen from the dead, then you are saved. There's nothing to do. You do the work in them. God, I pray that your spirit, you would indwell their hearts and you would work in them as well as us, Lord, just to be who you want us to be for your glory and for your good. Let our lives be different and let this city be different. Let our communities be different, our places of work. All of these spaces, because of what you're doing in us, let it be different. Let us never remember, let me forget that it's not by what we do, but it's by the grace of God that we're saved, called, and you do the work in us to impact and make change. It's in the name of Jesus that we all say together, amen, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.